Welcome to the Essential Craftsman Podcast. I'm Nate. We have got a great discussion for you today with my dad and with Brian Reynolds. Now, you know Brian. He is a familiar face. He helped us with the dirt work and excavation on our spec house. You have seen him show up while we're finishing concrete from time to time. He is the real deal. There's just something about these farm boys who grow up operating equipment and working hard. They are just the ultimate problem solver, positive, hardworking, salt of the earth types. And that that's Brian to a T. I didn't know Brian real well before this interview, but I'm a believer now. So I hope you enjoy this. We talk about dirt work and excavation. We talk about equipment. We talk about how Brian came to own his uh, his excavation company, the time he spent working for a concrete contractor, and a little bit about his background and education. And overall, I think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Let's get to it. First off, thanks for coming on our show. And my first question, Brian, I think I could say that little boys, middle schoolers, high schoolers, guys like me, old men, all could, a lot of them are going to think you have a dream job of digging holes with huge pieces of equipment. And I know it's not, nothing is as it seems, but do you see that at all? Or is it, is it to you, it's just work at this point? Oh, you bet. It is, uh, it's fun to play on equipment. I mean, get on a dozer and push dirt. I mean, who, who wouldn't love that? Um, it's like, it's just like playing in the sandbox. Yeah. You know, I was, I was hoping you're just going to say it was miserable because now, <laughs> well, now I really am jealous. Well, he told me yesterday about yeah. a miserable day. Okay. It has its days. You know, I was in a ditch yesterday putting in conduit and it was pouring down rain and I was covered in mud and, yeah. you know, not so glorious. Yeah. But, you know, other days are better. <laughs> <laughs> Something about pushing dirt or there digging is. a hole. I, I mean, or playing there on is. a dirt, like a, my kids play on a dirt pile in the backyard for half the day. Just... Yeah digging dirt is something fun about it what is it i don't know i don't, I don't know what either. it is it, it it's just fun there's just yeah. something fun about it yeah there's an element of risk and an element of just tear, tearing stuff apart and still an element of building things it's pretty neat mm -hmm. did you get more satisfaction out of running a big machine where you're digging and moving more dirt versus a little one or is it sort of the same type of feeling or what's the difference certainly a bigger machine um, smaller machines you're doing something maybe a little more technical in uh -huh. tight spaces, trying to dig around some existing utilities or pipes or whatever. Uh -oh. um, when you're on a big machine in a rural area where there's nothing to hit uh -oh. and you can just hog dirt, now that's that's fun. <laughs> well, yeah, but a little machine, there's anxiety all the time. Every move has got an element of, holy smokes, I don't want to break nothing, and I'm not sure mm -hmm. what's there, and, and, and. Yeah. But that's got to be cool with the monster machine and clear sailing. Sure. And, you know, my machines aren't monstrous by any sure. excavation standards, but to me, they're most, I have, you know, a 30,000 pound machine is my largest machine and it's not, it's not big, but. So let's translate that for people who might be tuned in. 30,000 pounds is the weight of the machine sitting on the ground. And that ranges down to what you've got a little machine that weighs what? 6,000 6, pounds? 6,000. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a, that's one way that people talk about the size of a machine, like, like, mm. a, like a, a D8 weighs what? Probably 90,000 pounds or, or something like that. I'm, I'm pulling that number out of the air. But they get big and big and heavy, and they're they're exponentially more powerful as that weight goes up, right? Yeah, and they can move more dirt. Yeah. 
<laughs> what about your operator? The, the guys who've been, they've been doing this day in, day out for decades. Is Are they still enjoying it? And you can kind of see them like having a good time when they're moving dirt or... I think so. I think, uh, you know, Dexter works for me and he's done this for years and he's way more experienced and qualified than I am to run a machine. Um, but he enjoys it. I think when he's, uh, stacking a boulder wall or something, uh, that's stressful for him. So after about eight hours of that, he's ready to just walk away and be done with it. Yeah. And he came from logging, right? I mean, a lot of guys around here come from the logging industry, which tapered off 30 years ago and then stepped over into excavation because it's running the similar equipment for yes. similar reasons. Yeah, I believe he uh, started out setting chokers in the woods. I think and- so, yeah. I asked this similar question to Mitch in Arizona, a guy that who did some dirt work for me, and he, he said, oh, yeah, it's fun unless you're on like a loader or something, and that's just pretty mindless. And that was new information to me. Basically, if you're just like scooping dirt and dropping it in a truck, uh. the the how rep, uh, repetitive that motion might be at least to him he was like that that seems boring to me it still seemed like a massive scoop you're still kind of digging <laughs> but you still um, get to smell diesel smoke i mean that's yeah. good right <laughs> yeah some some tasks can be monotonous when you're just moving dirt from point a to point b um but there's still a certain amount of enjoyment to it yeah and most of the time it's not just that there's no. usually another dimension or two in there my favorite thing to do is sculpting uh a property, you know, like uh-huh. when you're backfilling a house is, you know, no one's there to tell me where to put the dirt. Uh-huh. I just, I, I know how much dirt I have to get rid of that was developed during the uh, excavation right. in, the, in the initial part of the build. And then I need to make all this dirt disappear and make it look nice. Yeah. That's my favorite part. And what do you do that with? Like a skid steer or I, something? A track, a skid steer with tracks. Yeah. Yeah. That that little Takauchi moves a hundred miles an hour, man. That thing moves. I love that machine. It uh, it moves a lot of dirt. So I, it was probably, it was probably twenty years ago. I rented. I don't know how long ago it was that the track machines, specifically the Takauchi, started showing up at United Rentals. You know, Tammy Morris mm-hmm. had one to rent, and I had a job. And always before that, I had just rented Bobcats with rubber tires, and I rented that track machine, and it just it's. It's like it's magnetized to the ground. It doesn't get off the ground and bounce around like those rubber tires do. What a difference. Huge difference. And you can, can you can work through the winter. Oh, sure. Yeah. In the rain. Doesn't this, matter. This floats it, out it, on it. It has the flotation and the traction, and you can get around great in the mud. And it pushes harder, and right? It pushes it pushes harder. Wow. Um, it doesn't bounce yeah. when you're driving it. Never a flat tire. Never a flat tire. Wow. So we're, we're talking about skid steers, a little, little bobcat, the kind that have like the tank style tracks or versus wheels. So what's what's the downside to the tracks then? Um, well, you can't really use them on the pavement. Oh, they, oh. they don't turn well. On well it eats them up. It tears just, them up. It just up. destroys them. Plus, they don't really turn very well. Oh, uh, they just don't of, like to turn. There's a lot of rubber on the ground. Right. Oh. Um, so that one that's, that's most, it just won't twist. It, it won't twist, twist on the yeah. ground. If you spray the asphalt down with some water, it slides a little better. But huh. wow. <laughs> just I destroys no your tracks. But on dirt, there's just no comparison. Yes. Wow. So maybe maybe this answers my next question. And I asked Andrew Camerata this, but a skid steer, it's to me, seems like the most versatile piece of equipment uh, available. Um, but a tractor is right there next to it. They're just also so different, and yet they there's a lot of overlap. So if you had to pick one as like the better multi-platform tool which would you pick i know what you're going to say i would pick a 
I would pick a track loader. He'd pick hands, an excavator. Hands down. Because... Oh, hold on. Oh, wait, uh, you mean an excavator track loader or no, a, oh, oh, a, a skid steer? A skid steer. Yeah, okay. tracks. Because you can buy a mower for them, yeah. a bucket, yeah. forks. I mean, they're, they're Drill, very versatile. Brush. Uh, auger. Um, and, you know, a lot of these uh, smaller tractors, they're not designed to move dirt. They're designed to mow fields. Pull. And, um, and move like light buckets of bark mulch or things like that but to be able to move lots of dirt um they're these these skizzers are designed to do that interesting see you asked a question and i thinking like a carp I, thinking like somebody who's not an excavator i just thought you were going to kind of turn over the apple car cart here and say neither i would pick an excavator oh. i would want a track mounted <laughs> backhoe man they're just such a wonderful machine just they're they're a magic magic thing man so these mini excavators i say mini but it's there's also larger ones that are it's all the same tool it's it's small to large and i've learned recently they are not an ancient tool you know maybe like what 20 or 30 years ago is when they started showing up at least smaller like that oh little ones yeah i guess the little ones i'm talking about I guess when I was a kid, I saw backhoes everywhere, and everybody had backhoes. And every trench getting dug, it was a backhoe doing it. And now, I don't know. I just ne never feel like I never see backhoes. Yeah. So I'm not an expert in this, but I'm pretty sure the first excavators were all large, big, big yeah. machines, like size. And then size they gradually got smaller as as they went along. Yeah. So I, I'm th I'm thinking that about I know about the year 2000, about the time you went to Germany. I was, you know, here doing my small contractor thing, and I thought about buying a little excavator because they were showing up and putting it on a trailer behind my truck and kind of switching over to just running a small excavator. So that was when I was beginning to see them mm. and think about their versatility. And and so I, I don't know, probably in around around 2000, 1999, 1998, the little ones started showing up all over. I don't know. I'm guessing. So Making tell us, up. Brian, about how you go about. You bought you bought a lot of equipment, um, new, used, everything in between. I don't know how much of it you sold, and if you kind of go through it or turn it over. But tell us about your thought process when you're going about buying a new machine and kind of what you how you, how you get that done. I'm I'm different than a lot of people. I I don't like to finance equipment. Mm -hmm. If I want to buy something, I want to pay for it. Um, and let's just. I am so everything I've bought up till this year has been used either bought in an auction or bought it from somebody I knew that had one that wanted to get rid of a piece of machinery part of your network um but this year I bought a new excavator here just uh, about a month ago new, brand new. new new brand new oh. had like hour one hour and a half on it or something like that wow uh, it was hard for me to do but it, it made sense I, I needed it and I put a large down payment on it. So, so I, it made I sense like for it. timing because you needed it kind of right away or how, how did it make sense to you? I, I don't know that, you know, you work with your accountant when you yeah. go and do things yeah. like that. And it made the most sense to, to finance part of it. Uh, yeah. So that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, what's that like having a new one versus the old Brand one? Brand spanking new. What's that like? Well, it, it makes you think a little bit differently when you look at the hour meter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Man, we've only had this long and it's already got this many hours on it. Yeah. You know, that's. Uh -huh. But, you know, the paint's wore off and the newness is worn off. It's got mud all over it. So, so when you're greasing it, do you shed a tear once in a while that it's not brand new yeah, anymore? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the that with equipment, okay, with cars, it, you can kind of tell when they've been taken care of because they're clean I, I, usually. But equipment, even when it's brand new, if it's been on one job, it's filthy and dirty. So 
buying used equipment seems riskier than buying used cars in that way because they can really be abused. But you've bought a lot of used equipment. So what's your, how do you kind of go about that? Is it just all about the hour meter and cross all your well, fingers? You look at the hour meter and it, it's a gamble. I mean, you lose a drive motor on a excavator. That's an expensive cost or hydraulic pump. What was the drive motor? That's just like the motor that turns the wheels or the tracks? Yeah, it's what drives the tracks. It's, it's, you know, it's hydraulic. It's hydraulic. It's, it's a hydraulic transit. motor that runs off the giant hydraulic pump oh, that runs the whole world. I mm-hmm. see. What are those? Co- I mean, those are probably an $8,000 item on a big machine. <laughs> I think they're more than that. Whoa. <laughs> one for my uh, small excavator was about five grand. Five grand on a little one. On a little and one. it was only and th- as a this little big one. around. So you go larger, they're, they're expensive. Wow. Um, yes. So you lose one of those, you lose, but but it realistically, what else? You, you walk up, you look at a machine, you start it up, you run it. What are you looking for? Oh, well, you, you get in and you run it and you feel it. You know, if it, 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 you can tell if it feels really loose, that's maybe been abused or give some meaning to loose. Some of these some of these folks don't know what loose means. What do you mean by loose? Well, when you run the you run the bucket, you can feel if there's a slop in the Slack. pins. Bam, bam, bam. Um, if you rotate the machine and it you stop but it keeps going a little ways <laughs> yeah you know there's, That's loose. there's some parts that that get worn out yeah um, that way um so some of the equipment i got i bought from the guy i used to work for denny potter uh i, I used to hire denny all the time oh bruce you bruce, bought stuff from, from bruce. bruce yeah i bought yeah. two pieces from him there you go and they're machines that I had run previously, mm. and I knew what they were. You put all the hours on how, how they were maintained, yeah. yes. um, and and so I knew on both of those that they were a a sound purchase to yeah. make. Um, I did buy an excavator at an auction up from Ritchie Brothers, and that mm. was just a huge gamble. How'd that know? go? It was scary. First time I bought one at an auction. Yeah. Did uh, you go in person to the auction? Went, went in person. Went there. I was able to run the machine out in the yard. Really. Um. And and check it out. And, uh, Did you get auction fever and just like get you knew you're going to get it no matter what? Or how, how those auctions move pretty fast. Yeah, they they, uh, they they sell equipment so fast, and so you know it starts off the bids are coming in pretty quick, and once they slow down, you better throw your hand in the air or it's going to oh, be sold. Done. Oh. And so I threw my hand there one time, and that was it. And you had it, was it done. I owned it. Wow. And my brother was with me, and I looked at him and said. Did what? I just buy that? Is oh, that mine? What happened? <laughs> wow. So you, you got it for less than what you would have been willing to spend on it. In other words, it turned out to be a good deal? Yeah, yeah. It turned out to be a, a, a fair price, and it's been a good machine. Yeah. Wow. Um, how, how big is that? I went to a Richard Brothers auction in Phoenix, and it was nuts. It was like a stadium. There was like literally like stadium seating. Whoa. Uh, it felt like they could have had a you know, a concert there sort of, it was amazing. And then basically the car, the vehicles or the equipment like drives across the stage kind of, and all the people in the chairs and it's, Mm -hmm. it was, it was unreal. And I don't know if that was an especially big venue or, or, you know, facility or what, what was the one like? I think that's how they are. My, the one I went to was up in Chehalis, Washington. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. You sit, you sit in this, it's like an auditorium and the equipment drives by on a stage. Yeah. Um, all the equipment that's drivable, you know, and uh, then, then there's another room that's next to it. Yes. And they have the virtual auction in there. Yeah. And so cranes and excavators, equipment that they can't really drive across the ramp. Yeah. So they just show a picture of it and you're bidding on you know, the picture. So they just drive it across? Do they operate the, the features of the machine or they just drive it across? They just drive it across. You know, they'll, they'll line up six off-road dump trucks across on the stage. Whoa. And whoever gets the bid, you can pick which ones you want. 
Or oh. if you want all of them, or if you want number one and number three, then they're yours. And then they um, let the next person uh, second, take the ones they want, second or pick. they'll start over bidding again. No kidding. No kidding. But they have, you know, great concession stands. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a fun place to go. People travel and go to those auctions just as activities. I met some people there who are like, oh yeah, we, we, they, it was like a vacation. They like kind of like, not, they don't follow the auction, but they will visit the auction as no if kidding. it was like a, you know, a sightseeing kind of a thing. And, no and I can see why it was like a festival okay. there. All right. So you're going to buy a little diesel, uh, a diesel piece of equipment. You get in and start it up. You're looking at the smoke. You don't want to see any white smoke come out of the stack. Right. You, you you go around check to see if the fittings have been greased near as you can tell. You look at the rolls and the undercarriage and see if there's anything left on the rails, on the tracks, and all that kind of standard stuff. Anything else? What, what else do you look at? That That's a big thing, especially with excavators or um, dozers. You want to look at the undercarriage mm -hmm. because that's all it's all metal-to-metal -metal wear parts. Mm -hmm. um, there's no really way to lubricate that mm -hmm. or grease it or anything mm -hmm. and so it, it wears out and those are that's a large cost to uh replace yeah and, and so, it's a certain cost you can put it off but sooner or later somebody's got to replace that stuff yes. so you can just see like the connections like well that's that has worn back and that you can just kind of yeah, see you look where at the sprocket and say that oh that sprocket's yeah. you know half gone yeah the teeth just get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and the scoops in between get deeper and deeper and they yeah, and and the the rails on the tracks are just sliding, like he said, they're sliding, and so they will just they'll get thinner instead mm -hmm. of the rail being you know three quarters of an inch or whatever it was at factory, an inch or an inch and a half on a big machine, you know, it just gets thinner and thinner, and it's got to be replaced. Yeah, it's metal to metal, and then you add some mud in there and <laughs> yeah. gravel, and it just, it just yeah. wears out. Um. So, last last question on equipment, and then we'll move on. Do you have your do you have any like needs, equipment needs that you're shopping for or a piece of equipment that make your life so much easier that you would hope to add to your, your, <laughs> oh, uh, toolkit at some point you got, okay. For the viewers right now, right now you got a collection of excavators, dump trucks, the skid steer, I'm sure a few other odds and ends, but yeah, roller. And so I, I don't know. My, my next thing would be a, a new Takuchi. Uh -huh. Um, cause you know, mine's a 2004, mm -hmm. Um, when I got it, it didn't have, it only had like 2000 hours on it. Oh. And, and so it had a lot of life left in it, but I use that machine a lot. And so if it, if it went down, I, I'd be hurting. You'd have to go uh, buy a new one. I, I just go, about. I'd have to get something because we're so used to the efficiency of it and what it can accomplish in a day. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> in rough shape without one. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to upgrade that to a, to a newer model for sure. Um, and you, you feel brand loyalty to Takahuchi at this point, I would think. I don't know. I just, I, I would, I, I really like, yeah. uh, how it's made. Um, cause you do a lot of the work on them yourself too. Uh, yes. Yes. And, and I, and that's the machine that I get to run most of the time. Yeah. Uh, Dexter, he's on the excavator. I, I rarely get to run the mm. excavator. I mean, mm -hmm. he's, he's better at it than I am. So sure. he's the one that runs it. Mm. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time in that, in that track loader mm -hmm. and, and, and obviously that's a Japanese company based on the name? How that sounds in my ears. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> why, why are the Japanese so good at making equipment and cars and stuff? What in the world? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's, it's like all you need to know. It's like, yeah. it's a dirt bike, it's a car, it's yeah. a track loader. I'll take the Japanese one. See, now I am the only guy at this party who remembers when it was 180 degrees out of phase on that. Oh. When made in Japan was the equivalent of made in China. Now, huh. junk, not interested. 
Datsun, Datsun, yeah. Datsun trucks were about the first ones to show up over here. My uncle Jim had one, and it was like, even I, as a twelve-year-old, could tell. Okay, this is like a a Prince Edward in a can, tobacco can with four wheels on it. This is really <laughs> light, you know. Yeah. And my dad would mock it, and but man, they they changed their model. Yeah. They're awesome. It is, yeah, amazing. But I love the uh, the visibility that the Takeuchi has. Oh, you um, can see. You can, you're, you sit up a little higher. You, it has a big back window, and mm. you, you can just see what you can see around you a lot better. Yeah. Um, so because of that, yeah, I, I'd buy another one for sure. So let me ask you this. How long did it take for Dexter, after you bought Denny's outfit okay, and some of his equipment, and Dexter came with it, how long did it take him to acknowledge that it was so much better than that four-wheeled case skid steer? Or does he still love that thing? He still loves that thing. Really? Yeah. And I I, I don't like it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm used to the, I like the tracks, mm -hmm. the stability of it. Yeah. So I get on that that case skid steer and, and I'm bouncing around a little bit. Yeah. But he's so good on it. Yeah. You know, he can, we do a lot of driveway grading and he's uh very efficient on it and makes it look really nice and yeah so it so, works. so when so when we go to a job and we need that machine he runs it if we need the track machine i run it ah mm. cool so it works out pretty well so talk, talk us through if you had to make a pie chart of the type of work you do you said grading driveways and such i know you do septic installs i know you do footing and site prep works you did that for us so talk about the type of work that you do as a i guess excavation contractor is that how you title your your business or yes yeah, so so the majority of our work is uh i would say rural home site developments oh. so somebody buys 80 acres five acres um we go out there we put in the uh the road to the house we'll cut the house pad we'll deal with all the drainage oh. um, we trench <clears throat> the uh underground electrical um, we run the water line from the meter or from the well to the house huh. Um, we'll put in the septic system and then once the, the footings are poured, we'll come in and we'll prep for all the patios. We'll backfill the garage with rock. We put in the downspout drains, huh. um, hook up the water lines, sewer lines. Um, and then once the house is complete, we'll do some final rock on the driveway, um, smooth up any, any dirt piles that are left. Hmm. Get it close enough. The landscapers can come in and do their job. Yes. Yes. And a lot of times, um, a site has, uh, trees on it. So we'll come in and we'll take out all the trees, pull mm. all the stumps, make slash piles. I would say that, that, oh. that is the bulk of our work is, um, doing home sites for that, like that. And they're, they're all custom homes. Oh. So I, I, I don't get involved in track home developments. Um, it's not, not where I want to be. Well, how come? I don't know. It's a different market. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a little cheaper. Yeah. Um, the custom home market is good. People are willing to spend the money to, to do things the right way all mm -hmm. the way through. Yeah. Um, in track homes, it doesn't always happen that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I'm a big proponent on uh, having proper compaction. Oh. Um, a lot of times, you know, in track homes, they'll fill the garage <laughs> up with two feet of crushed rock run a vibroplate over it and that's it. That's it. You know, two feet vibroplate, boom. Yeah. A vibroplate you know, is good for two or three inches. That's right. That's Below it. that, those rocks don't know anything's happening. That's it. So it takes longer and it costs more money, but we'll put in six inches, six yeah. or eight inches of rock. We'll hit with a jumping jack. We'll put in another six mm. or eight inches of rock, hit with a jumping jack. Yeah. And so I can sleep at night knowing that that's, it's not going to settle. 
Yeah. They're not, they're not going to have a problem with that underneath their sidewalks, underneath their driveways. Um, yeah. I have a background in concrete construction and I've been on places where you could take a three foot stake and shove it all the way to the ground, yeah. all the way to the bottom. With the palm of your hand. With your hand. Yeah. And that's that's not properly compacted. That ground's going to settle. Yeah. And, and their sidewalks are going to crack. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I disaster. I, I, I won't do that. So yeah. how does a homeowner or one of your customers? And we, I know I know a lot of your customers. You've told me are custom home builders, but in general, how do you even go about bidding or pricing a job like that? Or how could somebody on the other side, let's say me, who wants to develop, let's say forty acres, have any idea? what it would cost to kind of do all of that stuff you just rattled off and, and do you even know, or do you just kind of dig in or how do you go about like, you know, pinning down a, a, a bid on a price or even giving estimates on something that, like you said, who, who knows what you could find under, under the earth. Right. That's, that's the one nice thing about excavation is, um, most of the custom home builders that I work with, the excavation part of their bid, um, is kind of open-ended mm-hmm. um, because you don't know what you're going to hit. If you you're if you go to dig a basement and you hit bedrock, yeah. it's got to get chipped out, and that's right. that's very costly. Right. So you you don't know what's under the ground, mm-hmm. and so you know you have a rock clause in your contract that says you know oh. we'll dig this out unless we hit rock. Oh, um, but as far as the other items, you know, just based on past history. Um, we we know about what it's going to take, yeah. and so some some builders will, I'll give them a I'll give them a bid, um, but it's still open ended. So mm-hmm. if, if it goes a little bit over, they're okay with that, yeah. and if it goes under, I don't charge them the full bid mm-hmm. amount, uh-huh. and yeah. and so we have a good working relationship yeah. um, that way, and that that is so valuable because you know there are people well. It, it's like every other aspect of commerce that the whole the whole uh, paradigm of anticipating costs and selling a price and then performing the work there are so many so many ways to hurt people on both sides of the equation yeah. that if you ha- can have that relationship of trust where people are really pretty relaxed going in that that they're yeah. going to have to pay what it really costs they're not going to pay less than what it really costs and they're not gonna, not going to have to pay more than what it really costs for a lot of people who are developing rural sites like that that's about all they have to have yeah and i guess with equipment um when i worked in accounting and i know attorneys do this too they have to keep track of their hours that they work on a client because then they just bill that way and i'm just thinking out loud that it's kind of handy these machines have these hour meters because <laughs> it's it's probably kind of i don't know if you utilize it in that way but i mean if you if the machine runs for 14 hours to get the job done it's kind of like i don't know what to tell you it's this was harder digging than we thought it took 14 hours and right. do, do you utilize the the hour meters for billing at all yes okay yes um every single day i have a I have a notebook that I write in every day. It's like kind of like a diary, I guess. I yeah, write a yeah, job log. I write a description of what we did, um, what machines we used uh, that day, how many hours yeah. uh, they worked. I write down all the materials that were used on the job, and so even if it's a hard bid job, I track it that way, so oh. I know what it actually took. Yeah. And on the jobs that are that are time and materials, I mean that's what I pull my invoice off of. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. all out of that book. Mm-hmm. I guess what it is, maybe this is the answer. Like when someone's never done something, like I've never done any type of site work like that. I have no idea mm-hmm. what to expect, right. how long that would take. No idea in the world. It could be like 
two hours or it could be like 25 hours, you know, for a machine. Right. No idea. But when you've done it a few times, I guess for you, it's sort of like you can have a pretty good idea of what it would take. Mostly I mean, in day increments though, right? Yeah. Mostly in day increments. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. okay. So everything's, yeah, that makes sense. It takes a day just to get the machines there or half a day at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to move your equipment out there and, yeah. and you know about how much you can accomplish in, in a day. I mean, a, a truck can only bring so many loads of rock in a day based right. on distance. How and, far away is the pit and what's the traffic like? Yep. You going through town or not? So, so it, that's been my experience talking to Brian and other people that I've yeah. hired to do things like that. Yeah. He's up. I'll probably be in here about four days and he knows he's going to have three machines and he wants, you know, yeah. whatever machine. That, and so he, and say, okay, that, and I've, you know, I use Denny a lot before you bought Denny's outfit and I've used a few other guys and I've, I was never really profoundly disappointed on that. Probably as much as anything. Cause I was usually right there with them in the way, yeah. you know, running the rod or something mm -hmm. and you can see the equipment's running and you can see the dirt going or coming. And so at the end of the day, yeah, but still, I had to prepare a price for people, and so I would ask, mm -hmm. you know, you got an idea? What, what what am I safe with? And I would put a safe number in there. Yeah, yeah it's all about you gotta just be able to like trust somebody a, a little bit, and <laughs> and just that is pretty much priceless. Because man, you could really a contractor could really take advantage of somebody and be like, oh yeah, that's gonna take a yeah. long time, and then yeah. the person yeah. would be like, oh okay, I have no idea. Yep, you know, I, mm -hmm. I I know every it's not just dirt work where that's a thing. You know, it could be. I'm a mechanic, you know, they're yep. notorious for that. Same. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing. So Brian, do you think that there's any, is it, can people who, who are interested in this type of thing, they could rent this machinery and do these jobs themselves. Is that, is it even possible to save money doing that? Or you, you, you know what I mean? Like, let's say I was going to build a house and I was telling you, I'm going to, I'm going to save a few bucks. So I'm going to rent all that. Is that even possible? Or is it just hiring the pro that's going to cost them less? Um, you know, if, if you're, if you're a person that's pretty adept and knows, knows how to, I don't know how maybe has a background in some kind of construction and you could rent a machine and, and you can do okay with it. Um, but at the same time we can do it, uh, probably more efficiently. Yeah. Um, you know, if you dig a little too deep, maybe you didn't have the, a good laser or something like yeah. that, you're going to buy more concrete for your footings. You're going to buy more gravel. Um, Things yeah. like that, they're going to end up costing you more money in the long run. Or even I, like having a dump truck available because if a person rents an equipment, they dig the hole, then you like you got to pay some, the company to come. They're not going to come till the next day. But You're paying rent on the machine. Yes, but, yeah. and, or That's they're going to call you like some say. kind of short load for whatever, whereas you own the dump trucks, and so they're going to be there. It just seems like almost that right there, if there's going to be any material or dump truck happening at all, I don't know how you could. That, that's how do it worked. It. That's how it worked for me. I mean, it's one thing to dig the dirt, and then you got to move the dirt, and then you got to get the dirt off site, and then you got to get gravel back and put in place, <laughs> and you got to grade the gravel. And there's not one machine that's going to do. It. I mean, you know, a, a back a backhoe comes close, but you still yeah. got to haul stuff in and out. Yeah. You know. Yeah, backhoe's nice. You can shuttle the material, mm -hmm. you know, across the road. No Clean problem. Clean messes up. Things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ha having having your own dump trucks is, is a big, is a big plus. I, I hate dump trucks. Mm -hmm. I can make more money with a mini excavator than a dump truck. Oh really? Because, what? um, dump trucks burn a lot more fuel. Oh. You have all these taxes, your tires are taxed. Um, there's huge costs and they, and I can actually bill more per hour for a mini excavator than a dump truck and have more oh. fun running it. Wow. But at the same time with the dump truck, I get rock when, 
I want to get the rock. Yeah. I can haul my own equipment around. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can clean up the mess when you need to clean up the mess. Exactly. So it's it's a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. But with a dump truck, there's always something that has to be done to it. Oh. The tires <laughs> wear out. Um, it needs new brakes. It just it's always it's always something. A blinker is not blinking something. Huh. Yeah. You know, it's the same way with I don't care. Cars generally are a blight. Right, it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. cars that keep us broke. It's cars that keep us frustrated. It, it's cars are a problem, and they're also freedom. I mean, you got to have them. But I that is interesting, that. though, that a dump truck has that that is more likely to be broken or have issues than any of your other equipment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's carrying a lot of weight, and it's yeah. and you put a lot of miles on a dump yeah. truck because you think about it, you have a guy sitting in there all day long yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah, you know. You you could rack up the miles in a, in a Starting hurry. Starting and stopping twenty thousand pounds of rock and twenty thousand pounds mm -hmm. of truck, and that's that's our load, right? Yeah. Um. So tell us, Brian, about and you told me the story, and I thought it was amazing. About well, may, maybe start at the beginning. Give us your background in terms of schooling and career, because I, as you mentioned, you poured concrete for a lot of years, and mostly what I want I'm, I want you to tell the listeners is about how you bought the business and. I want to, in particular, hear you tell about that that negotiation you had because I think it's the most beautiful negotiation I've ever heard of. But start at the beginning. Tell us about your uh, all right your your background so, and how you got to this chair you're in now. When I when I was a little kid, um, we lived in southeastern Idaho, and uh, our family, my dad and my uncle and my grandpa, we had a sand and gravel business, and they had a concrete plant, and so I grew up. As you a, were as a little doomed. as a you little were kid doomed. I, I rode around in the dump truck with my dad. I rode around in a concrete truck, oh. and and those older trucks. I swear, none of them had a passenger seat. Yeah. It was either a milk crate or a five gallon bucket. <laughs> uh -huh. But oh. but I rode around those as a kid. Um, I spent a lot of time sitting on the fender of the of the backhoe with my dad. Um, so so you know I was too little to run the equipment, but I was around it. And I had my Tonka toys at home. And so, you know, I had the bug then. Oh, you were born and bred in it. I didn't realize <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's how I started out. And then, uh, you know, series of events, things changed. And uh, we moved to Eastern Oregon. My uncle had a farm there. And uh, my, uh, my dad managed it for him. And so we shifted from construction to farming. And so I grew up. Uh, with both those experiences both those experiences so very mm. young i got put on a tractor cultivating beans um you know disking mm. uh i ran water truck you know just anything you can do on a farm and just, watching was, the equipment be fixed watching more it importantly fixed, yeah fix it uh, mm. there's always, always something to do um you're around trucks just so so i guess my whole life up to that point was around heavy equipment oh, okay well it was inevitable then like mitch yeah yeah he was the same way he just same story yeah oh. <coughs> go ahead keep going so, so anyhow so then uh oh shoot then i went off to school um byu idaho byu idaho and uh i was in the landscape architecture program um, so what made you want to go to school? Like if you had an instinct that you're going to be doing landscaping and maybe you weren't thinking dirt work at the time, but what, what made you I, want to go to I school? wasn't thinking dirt work at the time. Okay. So I just, I, I needed to get an education. You know, I, I, I saw it as a valuable thing yeah. to, to do. Um, so I, w I was going to school. I'd come home in the summertime and I worked for other farmers, you know, doing hay. Um, one summer I ran a concrete pump, a boom pump. Wow. For my uncle. Um, I'd come home at Christmas time and I'd haul containers of alfalfa to Seattle. 
Um, he's like the Swiss Army man. Yeah. So, <laughs> <Jeez. like> a, <laughs> so anyhow, so, so during that whole that whole time, some somewhere when I was going to college, I I got this like this concrete bug. So I did a uh, uh, internship for a landscape company in Reno, Nevada, mm. and while I was there, I decided to buy a a bull float, a couple handles, and uh, finished my internship. Went back to Idaho and got a couple side hustles doing some sidewalks and things. I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. And I'm sure they didn't turn out real great. Um, but anyhow, I uh, had a professor at school and he was actually a concrete contractor on the side, which is kind of a, a rare find. <laughs> yeah, and, this whole, this, none of this makes sense with like, you think about school and concrete and internships <laughs> where you're buying bull floats. It's he, like, oh, he, was even, he was an English professor too. Awesome. But he, he, was a, he was a contractor. So okay. I, I ended up, I got hooked up with him and did a couple couple jobs with him and, and uh, met another guy that was a was a student as well, but had his own concrete business, and went to work with him, hmm. um, just just to earn extra extra money while I was at school. And so anyhow, I got this this concrete bug, and I just wanted to learn and do everything about concrete. And I wanted to. Hmm. I decided, you know, since I was doing the the landscape architecture degree. I thought I want to do decorative concrete, do pool oh, decks, and yeah. and that sort of thing. You were itching to stamp something. So I, you? I was really itching to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, so uh, while I was there, uh, I met my my wife, uh, Eliza. Eliza. But by uh, the way, I I had known Eliza since she was just a pup. I like eight maybe or nine or seven. I don't know how old she was when I met her, but I've known her a okay. long time. <laughs> um. So, so we, we both got done with our, our schooling and we decided to move to, to Bend. You know, it was, it was about halfway between uh, where her folks live and where mine live. And we thought, well, we'll just move to Bend. We didn't have any prospects there. Sure. So, so we went there and I interviewed with a landscape company. I was going to uh, go to work doing some uh, design work and whatnot. But, you know, in the back of my mind, the you know, I, I liked the landscaping part, but the, the equipment was just, it was too small. It was just mm, too small. Yeah. And, and, and there were, I knew that was going to be a problem. Mm. So, uh, it was then that I came to Roseburg and, uh, helped you up at John's place, yeah. uh, doing that concrete up there. Yeah, um, that's right. And, you know, anyhow, several. So let me just throw se- in. So at, at your wedding reception, after the party was done up at John's place, they had arranged to borrow Paul Santos's eighteen-wheeler tractor. A cab. It was a cab over with a sleeper. Um, <laughs> it was a conventional truck. It, it was a conventional yeah, truck. Yeah, all right. Yeah. And it was up there at the site of the of the reception. <laughs> and when the bride and the groom left the reception, Brian drove that conventional tractor semi cool. yep. down the hill, down the one mile driveway, and off they went into the sunset our driving get, a highway rig. Our getaway rig. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> it was neat. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you wanted concrete and you showed up in Douglas County, helped me on that flat work around the outside of his house. I can only barely remember. I did a deck, I think, and it was flat work under the deck. Yeah, yeah. We did uh exposed ribbons and then that's right. That was a job inside that, of it. about crippled Tom. Remember? We I I, I leveraged you guys into doing way too many feet of, of ribbon. And <laughs> that was a lot of ribbon. It was a lot. And Tom had his knee pads on too tight, cut off the circulation to his legs, and he was crippled for a year. Something yeah, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, so, so you might have just like implicated yourself in a lawsuit. Yeah. There. <laughs> well, Tom's a very forgiving soul. He kept working. <laughs> so there were several things, and we finally decided that we were just going to move to Roseburg. And uh, I remember asking you, um, who you know, I want to do concrete. Who should who who's a good outfit to go to work for? And and you pointed me to to Bruce Caldwell. And let me tell you about got the me phone connected call. There. Did I ever tell you about the phone call I had with Bruce after that conversation? No, I don't think so. I called him. I said, Bruce, this is Scott Wadsworth. Yeah, hi, Scott. I didn't know him very well. I said, I'm just about to give you the name of the best hand you're ever going to hire, but here's the deal. If you don't keep him busy and I have enough work, I'm going to hire him away from you. Okay, that's fair enough. How long did you work for Bruce? 12 years. 12 years. That's a long 12 ride. 12 years. Yeah. You know, when I when I started, they were in the middle of a, a large RV park project, and it was a lot of production. And, and you know, I had poured some concrete back in eastern Idaho, but... I wasn't a seasoned concrete you didn't finisher really know. by any means. You just ran. And so it was, you know, fake it till you, ma- till you make it. Um, so I started out uh, working with those guys, pouring concrete every single day. And, you know, I just planned on staying there for a couple of years, learn some experience, and then mm-hmm. strike out on my own doing pool decks, right? Mm-hmm. Still want to do decorative. Not, not a lot of pool decks here in Douglas County. Like eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyhow, um, we just... We got involved in some really unique projects, and Bruce I, does cool. I really, really enjoyed the work, uh, the challenge. You know, it wasn't it wasn't repetitive uh, work. We, it, you know, we did, you know, like a custom basement with round walls, or we did some mm. spillways, and um, little by little, I started doing more of the uh, uh, the structures for water. You know, like. Uh, they'll put a box culvert under a highway and we'd build the the wing walls on each end. Um, th- those were probably my favorite things to, to work on. Uh, pretty non-typical, lots of rebar. Government specs had to be done just exactly uh-huh. one way and just exactly one schedule. Yep. Yeah. I know this is going to sound weird to some of the guys listening because you came out of college and went right to finishing and pouring concrete, which is not what a lot of people hope to be doing after college. You know, they imagine more. I don't know, not manual labor like that, but what was your like, I guess at the time you were getting experience and getting ready to go out on your own thing. Is that sort of the mindset you were, you obviously you're like happy to work hard and that's not my point. My point is more, you didn't, you didn't see anything wrong with just jumping right in next to, you know, old salty concrete guys. And even though you've been through college at that point and could technically have probably settled in a more I don't know, landscape architecture probably has some more comfortable office type jobs, I would think, right? I'm just not an office guy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up working outside the blue collar lifestyle. Yeah. And, and I love it. Yeah. So I have no desire to sit in the desk sit yeah. at a desk all day long. Can't yeah. do it. So but your education helped you with Bruce Caldwell because you ended up helping with bidding and job tracking and cost estimating and some management responsibilities that you were more qualified for, probably, I'm guessing, because of some of that educational time? Yeah, I, I took uh, bidding and estimating courses in school. So, you know, I had I had some some ideas on how, how it worked. Um, and you could operate a keyboard. Yep, have computer skills and how to use spreadsheets and those kinds of things. I, I learned those in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are certainly valuable um, uh, skills that, that I gained there. Was it worth the cost of tuition? Oh, I don't know. I suppose you could learn it. Met your other, wife. Other you met your wife, so maybe that yeah, was that worth made the it worth it. That made it worth it right there. <laughs> good, good, good call. <laughs> so yeah, I, working for Bruce was great. You know, uh, 
kind of work my way up into a, a I guess I call myself a working foreman. Mm-hmm. Um, for Bruce? The, the neatest thing I got to do was, you know, I, I'd get to go put together an estimate for a job and then go out and run the job. That's cool. Um, and So that's not a working foreman. Foreman never put together the money on the job. Okay, the foreman's on the job and he inherits the price and the schedule <laughs> and, and like- he's got the plans. So that's about two steps. It's not quite a pro- It was almost a project manager, right, on that project. Yeah, I See, guess. But I was a project manager. You were a working project with manager. My nail bags there, on. You were a working project yeah. manager. That's a great job. There, there are several times I'm standing on the side at the side of my truck. I've got my tool belt on, mm-hmm. and I got my laptop computer out. So, so I, I was, but I, I was working with the crew every yep, day. There you go. With my hands. And so. I'm sure there were plenty of generals you guys did work for that would have that identified you as somebody that they would like to hire away from Bruce. That had to happen because you don't see working guys who can go by the truck and run that computer. You may not be privy to that, but I just know that happened. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Most people can run a computer these days. (laughs) Not most construction geeks who can also run a bull float. Well, I mean, so, so I, so I, I know a lot of construction guys who are tops. In fact, we work with them for whom a computer is foreign. Sure. Foreign that do their bids and their calculation, their job tracking on a yellow pad, and there's a stack of them on the floor of their work truck. You know, wow. so 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 you guys who have that advantage of being computer savvy, it's easy to project that onto all your millennial peers, but not all of them have it. Hmm. Now, plenty probably. Yeah, but so I think the best part about that that scenario was, you know, if you're if you're a foreman and and you get and you go to do a new job that someone else bid and you know, they're calling you on the phone. Well, how come it took those guys this long to, to do the footing forms or, or how come that wall's taking so long? When, when I was the one that put together the bid, I knew how many man hours there were for each, each part of the job. And I always had in the back of my mind that I'm going to beat that. I'm beating it. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to beat that. Even though I had nothing to gain f- for doing that, it just, but I was driven that way to, to try to beat my own numbers. It's a sickness. And I get it. And there, there's a thrill to that. There I sure don't know is. what it is, but I do. But it's great. I, I really enjoyed uh, my experience uh, working for Bruce, d- doing doing concrete work. We had some really really unique projects that made you really had to made you really think um, outside the box. Mm-hmm. So I'll just tell you that personally, watching that from a distance for ten or twelve years after connecting you guys. I got a ton of satisfaction out of what I saw going on from, you know, with my spyglass. How's Brian doing over there with Bruce? How's Bruce doing over there with Brian? And we had enough mutual friends who would work occasionally on Bruce's jobs that I could kind of keep track of it. And it was, it was neat. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a big slab support and we'd call Dustin and Tom and they, they would come and we just put together a big crew so we could get uh, large projects done. Just like we did on and, that porch. Yeah. And two months ago. It's fun. It's fun to go work with those it's guys. It's fun. Yeah, they're the best. So you guys are a great crew. Talk us through, um, obviously, Bruce was a little bummed when you left, but probably not totally surprised. But I I want to hear about how you um, got into excavation and came about buying the business and taking o- taking it over. So maybe um, we'll finish on that little okay. sequence there. Um, so when I worked for Bruce, you know, I'd, I'd come home at night and I'd get my computer out and I'd be doing, you know, the uh, Minecraft. estimating or, or I'd be... Minecraft. Uh, doing daily reports on on what we did that day and and I talked to my wife like you know this project we're doing really good on I'm beating my numbers 
uh, and she would look at me and say like, you know, when are you going to do this for yourself? Like, Bruce must be really happy. <laughs> I bet Bruce's wife uh, is delighted. You know, he, he took good care of me. Um, but you know, she was, she was always asking me that. And it was, it was a constant thing, uh, for, for, for a few years, you know, of asking me, you know, you, you should really do this on your own. The bids we started to get were more and more out of town. Mm. Um, I sp spent a summer in Medford working and living in a hotel room. I went over to bend and did a job. Um, Fun projects, unique projects, but not at home. Yeah. Um, so that was a that was a big push, and you know, sw swinging a eight pound sledgehammer is uh, nice, and you feel tough and everything like that. But after doing it for years and years, it's kind of detrimental to your joints. <laughs> You're not kidding. And, and I'm starting to feel it in my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And you know, I look at these uh, old timers that have poured concrete their whole lives, and they're in rough shape used up they're, they're you know having surgeries and they're yeah. hunched over and 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 they're hurting and they got they got a little tray full of pills in the truck a lot of pills yeah. um and and i pushed hard and mm -hmm. so i you know i could wear out a brand new pair of boot work boots in nine months mm -hmm. they're just shot walk mm -hmm. through the soles of them mm -hmm. you know i don't know how many miles a day i walk but a lot mm -hmm. and and so i could see all these things you know i, I needed i just i needed to do something different so mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out what that was. And, and so, uh, I, I thought about, um, Danny Potter's business. Uh, he was somebody that I, I never worked for. Not, not once. Um, he didn't work for Bruce. While he didn't you were work for Bruce. For, it's he just worked some, for me. It's he just, worked for me a lot. He's someone that I knew. Uh, I actually did the foundation on his house. Mm. Um, someone that I was around, I think, you know, he did a lot of work for my father-in-law. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would I would run into him and ask him how he's doing. And he's like, you know, doing good. I'd li like to slow down and retire someday. And and so I just kind of planted a seed in the back of my mind. Um, and so I was thinking about it one day and I thought, you know, I, maybe I should do dirt work. I think I could do okay with, with doing dirt work. And so I stewed on this and stewed on this. And I even talked to Bruce. Um, told him, you know, I, I need to do something different, whether it's with, with mm -hmm. your business or something completely different. I, I need to do something different because I'm not, I'm not uh, doing anything for myself mm -hmm. to, to move, mm -hmm. move things along. Mm -hmm. um, and he understood that. And, and he understood that, yeah. And so one day I, I was working, when I was, when I was working in Bend, I called Denny up on the phone. No kidding, you cold called him? I, I called him up and I said, I said, you're, like, you're getting you know, kind of old, you know. <laughs> I said, like, how are things going? And and I knew he was wanting to to slow down. And um, I said, you know, would you be willing to to sell your business to me? You know, I don't know anything about buying a business. I mean, that that was a totally foreign concept to me. Wow, were you uh, surprised to hear yourself saying that? Yeah, I, it it took a lot of courage to to dial the, to mm, dial yeah. the number um, yeah. and 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 start that conversation because I knew. In the back of my mind, if I start this conversation, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky for a while. That's, mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff to figure out. We're getting out of the security um, comfortable zone. We're yes, gonna do something new. Yes, but making that initial call that was the hardest thing to do. So after that, um, what did he say? He said he said you know I I let me think about it. I think I I think we might be able to work something out. Wow. So I think it was like a, a week later or so I, I ran into him and I talked to him and and he had talked to his wife and and they decided that that we'd 
continue the conversation. He probably um, like burst into tears of joy right when he hung up. <laughs> He's probably perhaps, like, oh, perhaps. I'm not gonna believe it. Oh, it's a bit. Oh, I'll think about it. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> so, so that was in the. I think that was in the fall of of 2016 that, that I made that made that call. Um, so anyhow, so I, my wife and I went over there and met with them and uh, we started talking through things and we decided that 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 we we're going to try to make it work. Um, so then it was. Uh, try to figure out how to... Okay, just a second. You came home from Ben and you said, hey, or you called Eliza that night. Say, Eliza, I called Denny Potter. He said he would I, think about it. What did she say? I don't remember what she said, but I know she was excited. You bet she, she was. She was excited that, that, I, that I finally you were moving. went to do something different. Yeah. So Denny had a few excavators and dump trucks and a couple employees. Is that like the, the scope of his yeah, uh, operation? Yeah, they, they worked as a, as a three-man three crew. Russ uh, and Dexter and Denny. Yes. And had been in business for decades and like been like, they just do the dirt work locally in uh -huh. that way. Is that, is that it? Cool. And he had then the same reputation that Brian had now. And there's been lots of guys that I've talked to that they were appalled to hear that Denny had sold. Yeah. Denny is class act, class act. Dexter and Russ and Denny were just smooth. Danny's selling. Now what? Yeah. You know. And then when the word got out, Brian, who's Brian? Oh, Brian Reynolds. That might be all right. Yeah, and they've been cool. vastly relieved. <laughs> so tell us about. So you guys started talking, and this is what I mentioned earlier. But I, I think it's the most beautiful negotiation I've ever heard of. So tell, tell us about like get to the, get to like that that moment. You 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 both start doing research on figuring out what this thing's worth. Yeah. So so basically, we decided um, which machines he wanted to sell because he wanted to keep some machines because he's, he's, he's got a ranch. He still goes on fires and things like that. So there's some things he didn't want to sell and that's fine. So, so we went through the machines that, that he wanted to sell and, and I went home and did my research, you know, what's this machine worth? And then he did the same and we met together and, and, uh, just kind of negotiated a little bit until we had a firm, uh, number of what we were willing to pay for, uh, each each mach mm -hmm. machine specifically, um, and then the trickiest thing is is uh, purchasing what they call the blue sky. Mm -hmm. You're you're buying someone's business, okay? So wh what is that? What what are you getting? Um, you know, it's not like I'm buying uh, existing contracts or anything like that. It, that's not what it, what it is. It's you're you're buying uh, a name, a reputation. And and so how how do you put a number on that? Yeah, it's a phone number Be, because and a name. The only thing tangible it's worth a lot though that, that I that you get is the office phone number, yeah. which is mostly spam callers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, really? And yeah. and then and then uh a name on the door. And mm -hmm. and so you know, I I researched it and there's different formulas that people have come up with based on uh, gross revenues and in all these things like that. And so it finally just came down to, okay, this is what I think it's worth. And uh, so we went and met with them and we both basically had the same number. You had the same number. So, I mean, all this anxiety going into this, like, you know, are they going to be offended when I say what I think it's but worth? You, you both but had wrote your number down on a piece of paper, and it was kind of like, "All right, turn it over," <laughs> and it's a match. Right? I can't remember exactly how that went down, but something like that. Yeah, but yeah, cool. we had the same the same number. So wow. so right there, then you everybody's know, I, happy. I was happy, and they were happy. So so that worked out really good. Yeah, and you're like, um, I should have offered him less. <laughs> I'm just teasing. It really is cool, and I got to think for him, it's just got to be so satisfying to 
hey, we're going to bring Denny in here and, and have this interview with him. I'm just to sell your business in that way. And, <laughs> you know, that, that value of Blue Sky, like nobody knows how valuable it is more than Denny. And yet it's like there's just how many people are, how many buyers are there for that Blue Sky? Like one. You know, right, you, <laughs> right. Like he needs you, and you need him, kind of. And and the whole way through it, he he always said that you know it has to work for me, yeah. for me, yeah, not for him, because you know he has this business that that he's developed over these years and years and years of working and relationships with different uh, builders and and whatnot, and and he's turning that over to me. Yep. And so, mm-hmm. but he knew that it had to work for me or else I wouldn't do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It could, um, it would it would it, not be sustainable. It w- it was for him I think it was a way a way out. Mm-hmm. A way of, you know, of retiring because you don't have these people that you've done work with for years and years and years when they call you kind of feel loyal to keep yeah. helping them out and, yeah. and and this was this was a way out of that. They wouldn't call you if they didn't need you. And so at at yes. the t- t- moment you're going to have to decide do I tell them that even though you need me I can't help you anymore. And the customers were or a lot of businesses. So it's it's other home builders who it's not like a one customer who needs a plumbing repair who can call another right. plumber, but it's like these people, their business really relied on this dirt work service, I would think. You know, custom yeah, home builders like Big time. what are they gonna do? Buy an excavator and a dump truck? Like maybe they'd have to, you know. There's they really and, truly were needing and that. like my so I, I am that person, right? I happen to know you personally when that happened. But I was still in danger of losing Denny Potter as my excavation contractor. And he had demonstrated to me that I would never call anyone else. That Lee Sharp job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Denny came back in there and they, between, they, he was so surgical and he never broke anything and he never made anybody mad and he was always on time <laughs> and, and he always cleaned up his mess and it was, and the price was always fair. And I thought, I can't duplicate that. Oh, wait, Brian bought it. I think I can duplicate that. And it was just a huge relief for all of us. I've mm-hmm. talked to other people who felt the same way. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a win-win-win. It was a win for you two, and it was a win for those of us in the in the grandstand seats watching, you know, what's going to happen, <laughs> you know. So do you, looking back, do you think you could, let's say that that opportunity didn't exist, do you think you could have built and oh. got yourself to this position you are now, you know, busy as you want to be? without purchasing that blue sky and equipment or, or or maybe if someone else was listening to this wanting to do this but without an opportunity opportunity to buy someone's business can you do it yourself or do you would you recommend waiting and buying somebody's operation i think the way that we did it it, it was pretty awesome because if 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 i was to go out cold turkey and buy say a mini excavator okay i want to do dirt work yeah I'm pretty limited on, on what I can do. Oh, I mean, very, very limited. Yeah. We, we bought multiple pieces of machinery and yeah. and kind of jumped beyond that level yeah. to where we could we were more versatile and could do more uh, more work. Um, and so and that, that's a huge difference that, yeah. that just jumping into a cold turkey would, would be really hard to do. So you could do um, more work and you had more work coming in over your telephone. Yes, yes. Oh, and huge. and and the thing is like with these custom home builders, they're people that I did foundations for when I worked for mm-hmm. Bruce. And so a lot of these uh people they're the same people. Denny mm-hmm. did their dirt work. Yep. I did some concrete yep. work for them. And yep. and so yeah. between the people that that came through uh the business that we bought, um those contacts and the contacts that that, that I already had right out of the gate 
uh, we had more work than we could do. Mm. And you had Denny to bounce some numbers off of. Denny, what 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 kind of a price should I put on something like this until until you had it automatic and could just yeah. sit in there and yeah. see how many days right off the bat? Um, there there was a the first year we had two large projects um, and that. Uh, Denny helped me, you know, kind of put the numbers together with, because mm-hmm. I didn't know how how far mm-hmm. that excavator could trench in a, in a day. I had no, no idea. No idea. Yeah. Uh, I did lots of estimates where, you know, I knew how many how many feet of footings the guys could put together, but so I had to take that experience and translate it into into yep. dirt work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so Denny helped us help me help me figure that price out. Mm. So maybe last question: you've you've had two you're you've got two great experiences. Great experience working for somebody in a position that was satisfying and interesting. And now you're running your own business in a way that's satisfying and interesting. So which is better or what, what would you recommend? Or is it, how do you look at those two options and, and compare and contrast them? Or is it just time of life? Oh, I'm not sure if this answers your question or not, but, um, both experiences, my, my concrete background has been a huge, huge asset to what I do now Big because, time. because I, you know, if I'm prepping for footings, I already know what the guys that are going to form it, what they want. Mm-hmm. I did the next phase for years. And yeah. so, and so I understand grades and slopes. Um, that that's something natural to me. Cause mm-hmm. I, I just, I just know it. Mm-hmm. And so to do Whatever trade you're gonna do, if you know the next trade that's coming behind you, mm. that makes you, I think, way more valuable. Way more valuable. Because you don't get called back to dig a little bit more here because they don't have enough room to work. Um, things and, like and, that. And it's that. But what it really is at at the from the business perspective is the man that's paying you for the work you did has it makes a different in, a difference in how much money he makes at the end of the job because he used you for that phase of the work. Because the, fa- the next phase of the work that he's paying for goes quicker and easier because your phase of the work was done perfectly for the people that are following you. And that is the advantage that you brought. That is where Potter Excavation stepped up. All of a sudden, Potter Excavation has somebody who really understands concrete at the helm. And so that was, that was an improvement. So not only was... So I, I, that, that is what it is in real terms. It's a competitive advantage to be able to perform the dirt work for concrete perfectly instead of just very well. It's, it's really, it's a boost. Yes. I don't know how many times, you know, I'm trying to run a string line to set something up and there's a pile of dirt in the way. Yep. Um, just, just silly things like that, mm. that takes 30 seconds to move with a loader. Yep. Mm. And, and so two hours for a man with a shovel. Exactly. And how many times did I have to do that with a shovel? So, so <laughs> yeah. now when I prep a site, it's clean. Yeah. There aren't piles of dirt. There aren't holes. Yeah. I try to make it so that it is nice for the guys that are coming. Yeah. Um, and and I think the the builders appreciate that. You bet they do. So my takeaway here, and for someone listening who is is paying attention, in other words, spending twelve years working for somebody and getting a paycheck is not a waste of time. In in terms of like you're not no. you're not just on a hamster wheel you're you're learning and waiting and meeting people and you know on on the 11th and a half year let's say of yours all of those 11 years 11 and a half years the the contractors the learning the next phase getting familiar with danny all those things like time well spent so if you are punching a time card and spending years working for a job 
it's not a, it's not a waste of time just because you don't own the if truck you're you climb in every day. If yeah. you're if learning, if you're learning, yeah, and learning includes learning the phone numbers <clears throat> and the contact information and the capacity of the people you're working with. Yeah, you know that's part of what you're learning. You're learning you're learning what your network and your relationship pool is going to be moving forward. It's yeah. just huge. It can't be overstated. Yeah. So, so one thing you might find interesting is uh, when when my wife and I finally decided that yes, we were going to buy this business. I told Bruce, I said. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to buy Denny's business and we're going to take over. So basically I gave him six months notice that, that I was leaving. That's nice. Um, and, and he kept me busy up until <laughs> Friday <laughs> and Monday morning. I took off with my own business. Wow. Just like that. Wow. That's um, amazing. That, yeah, that is. Six months. That's really uh, <laughs> generous, <laughs> generous and nice, <laughs> and pretty cool. Yeah. It was generous, but he kept kept me busy uh, yeah. all that time. Friday, he's like, "Go wash my so, truck." Yeah. Well, you, you, you had you had the best concrete job in Douglas County. That job that you had with Bruce was the best job available as in a, in something that's essentially concrete specialization. Um, I mean, the other companies that we could talk about and rattle off, they didn't have anything available on their payroll that was as good as what you had with Bruce for opportunities to learn and do interesting jobs and prevailing wage and all those things, Absolutely. everything from decorative to it prepared you for, for everything that's coming next. Mm -hmm. And none of the other companies in Roseburg could have done that. Well, hopefully you've satisfied that weird itch you had to do concrete. I mean, I get getting to do woodworking and I want to paint, but come on. Let, hopefully you got that out of your system because it, 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 I don't get it. It's still fun. He to, comes and to, helps us, to get man. Together with, yeah, it's true. But like, I, it's like, I'm going to build, I'm going to make furniture in my garage. It's like, I get it, but like, I'm going to pour some concrete. I'm, I've still I'm, got all my trowels and, and, and it, it, it is a, a joy to go yeah. get them out and, and pour some concrete. It's probably especially fun when it's not like your concrete and you're like you know when you just kind of show up for it not that that's the fun part but like you said when you're with your friends and guys you haven't seen in a bit working uh, with dustin yeah. and tom and yeah. rich and Bo, there's for no example, doubt it that is that's fun, fun. Mm -hmm. it's just a pleasure it's a it's a cooperating cooperating sports team yeah in a kick butt game man <laughs> yeah, that's a good point <laughs> what know? a team effort it is compared to other trades you know like yeah. you know a crew of plumbers running through it's not quite the same like like a, you don't feel like maybe like an offensive line, yeah, you know, right. the that's way right. that uh, that's a what crew of concrete guys it's all offensive like line. working on that slab. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, that's and, pretty And cool. the other thing that you may, you'll notice if you haven't already the next time we work, and I don't know if I'm going to have a pour big enough to justify bringing you back in. I would love to, but we'll just see. Um, but when they're talking to each other working, they're not saying anything about the work. They're talking about their lives and their hunting trip and their mm -hmm. kids and where they're going with their wife and they're talking about anything they want to talk about and the work just happens without any communication because everybody knows exactly what the guy next to him is going to do in the next second. It's really neat. That's part of the magic of it for me is that unspoken communication when everybody is fully professional, yep. you know, and thinking the same way. It's it's really magic. It's a well-oiled machine. It's a well-oiled machine. It's just, yeah, you're right. There's There's no... Hey, you need to go cut those joints uh -uh. over there, or that edge needs to get hit again. Yeah, you just know. Unless and, and I'm helping, and then I've got to be bossed <laughs> like a dog because I'm not part of that well-oiled machine. But it's like the in the Final Four college basketball. You know, any one of those teams coming down the floor. You know, their offense. Everybody knows what that other guy is going to uh -huh. do, and the pass. It's the same thing. That's yeah. why it's fun. Um, what's it like? This may be our last question for you. What's it like doing all that when the camera's on you? <laughs> Um, well, you know, when you're, 
<laughs> when you're reaching out to trial something that you can barely reach and you know, it's like, is that camera behind me? I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that goes through your head a little bit, but yeah. You're free, you're free to say it sucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the work's still fun, but the camera part's a little different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's like you might as well put like a a scope on the top of it, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like a barrel coming out of it. <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Brian. And um, for the listeners, we will put, we'll collect all of the concrete videos you showed up and I'm sure there's half a dozen of them at this point. So people can uh, have those in one spot. And I thought this was really great. And um, thanks again for doing our concrete work. Any last thoughts for a, a young up and comer, a concrete guy who wants to be in your shoes operating equipment? Oh, just do it. Yeah. Um, you know, make make the leap when the, when the time's right. Make the leap. Uh, it it's something that you say like, why didn't I do this years ago? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think that you know I I could have done this a few years earlier, but at the same time I gained some super valuable knowledge that just helps us be better at our business. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Now before we sign off all the way i'm going to put a bunch of links and at the very top of that is going to be to brian's instagram account because there's a video on there one of the first ones of uh this egg rock that rolled out of a hill i don't even know how else to describe it and for some reason i'm obsessed with it i bring it up every time i see you but (laughs) he's got a great instagram account that shows some of the work he's done including this dinosaur egg that's bigger than a suburban right <laughs> that, like, uh, not quite that big okay it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a volkswagen bug <laughs> yeah. but it looks like an actual egg and it, it does roll, look like that. it rolls out of the side of this hill it's it's insane yeah. we got to get a geologist i'm sure there's a name for it but it, it looks like a yeah like an egg like it was hat like it was laid out of some <laughs> big bird so anyways we'll put your instagram account on there folks can check you out there any other you got a website or anything I uh, haven't got a website yet. Just started doing the Instagram thing yeah. uh, here all a month ago or so. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll send we'll uh, send our audience over there, and we will put links to the half a dozen concrete videos that you've showed up to on our channel, so people can uh, get a look at some of the other type of um, places you showed up. And we're looking forward to having you back over to the spec house for that last little bit of grading out in the front and the sidewalk. It'd be great to have you guys back over there again. Yeah, Thank that's you. right. In fact, I may. Are you going to bring that track loader that you mentioned? Your Takahuchi. Uh, probably not on this job. Okay. All right. Well, I want to get more footage of that thing up close because those are fun to film also. (laughs) They're so like just fast and smooth and zippy and all that. So, uh, one of these days. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in everybody. We'll catch you next time.